And we're back here at the Hidden Gems Podcast. We want to thank you so much for waiting patiently for us. We're here in 2021. We got a slew of new episodes coming your way. New stories from people all over. Stories that are going to inspire you. Stories that you're going to want to hear. So really thank you for tuning in again. We're here at episode nine. And as always, I'm your host, Marcus Johnson Luther. One last time, I want to thank you for tuning in. But before we get started, I want to make sure everybody subscribes on Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you prefer to stay up to date on all available episodes. Also, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at hidden underscore gems pod. That's hidden underscore gems pod. And that's linked in the episode description below. Lastly, when you subscribe on Apple or Spotify or whichever podcast platform you prefer, make sure you leave us a five-star review to let us know how you feel about the show. And for today's episode, I got a dope conversation with Rahab. Rahab and I talk about women in sports and the sexism they face. We talk about her growing up in Edina and how she maneuvered that, her time at the University of Minnesota, her being an immigrant, her being bilingual, and much, much more. And I'm not going to hold y'all up too much, so... Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to, to 2021 and episode nine of the Hidden Gems podcast. I'm here with a special guest, Rahab. Rahab, thank you so much for being here for the first episode of the Hidden Gems podcast in 2021. How are you doing today? I feel great. I feel honored. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. Uh, for the people that don't know, you know, Rahab is uh, she's a multi-talented person. You know, she kind of does a little bit of everything. She's worked in all different kind of industries already. She's done sports. She does a little bit in uh, music, too, I believe. Um, what else do you do, Rahab? Just give us a little brief background before we get started early. Um, I don't know. I've done a little bit of everything. I worked for Target. I now work for General Mills. Um, I also am a volunteer intern with um, a group called the Hip Hop Firm, and it's based in Chicago, and we'll dive into that a little later. Um, I also do marketing for a local church, and that's kind of it. I started a food blog. Wow. It's on there. Wow. Just I'm like acquiring all my recipes and stuff and cooking them and then we'll get the blog going. <laughs> OK, but I mean, like and like that's just kind of like a brief overview of uh, what Rahab does. Like I said, she kind of does it all. It touches every little kind of aspect and in industry. So, Rahab, thank you for being here. Truly. Thank you. I'm once again honored to be the <laughs> first of 2021, the yeah. fresh new year. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there's a little background to this episode too. Rahab and I. We tried to record an episode back in December, and w I just had technical difficulties from broken equipment to this, that, and the third. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, the patience you've had with me, with the pro podcast as a whole, and everything in between. But we're going to get started with Rahab today. So, Rahab, you're like a little over a year from graduating from the University of Minnesota. Um, it'll, it'll be now a year. Oh, yeah, over a year, over a year. Yeah. Um. How has your first school-free year gone, despite the whole pandemic and everything? Wow. Um, even without the pandemic, it's been it's been a rough year, honestly. Um, I graduated in December, and a semester before, like most of my friends, 
And so I was like, wow, I don't want to start my career now. And everybody's still like in dinky town <laughs> and stuff. And so I decided not to start my career and like just do whatever I wanted. I traveled to Dubai and Puerto Rico and then the pandemic hit and I was like, all right, bet. Now I'm in the same place as everyone else. Like we're all caught up to each other. Um, I just didn't want to start. Honestly, I was honestly lazy after doing school for so long. I just wanted a break. Um, it was hard trying to find a job during the pandemic as everyone else probably knows. Um, I miraculously found a job at target. Um, so I worked at target for a while and then transitioned into general mills is where I started as of the 11th of January. Um, but honestly it was hard. I missed being on campus. I missed everyone on campus. Um, you don't realize like when you're an undergrad, you're like, Oh, I'm so ready to be not to have nothing going on, to not have to worry about homework, to not have to do this and that. Then you get to like real life post grad and on the weekends, like when you're usually planning when you're going to do your homework or like going to events and stuff, you have nothing in your life at that point. Like I would wake up and be like, wow, I have nothing planned for the day. This is kind of boring. Yeah. I kind of miss school. Yeah, I mean. I agree with that. I'm only a, I'm only a, what three or four weeks out from that, and I'm I, like I wake up and I'm just like, like I just there's nothing. Like I go to work some days, but then I'm just like I have no homework to do. Like I'm such a person that needs structure. That when there's no structure Same. for me, I'm just like, so what do I what am I supposed to be doing right now? I thought I was a bum. Like I, <laughs> I even working full time, I thought I was a bum. Like I was like I have nothing going on. Like my coworkers were like oh yeah, like I do this part-time and I do that and all this. And I'm like, I literally go here and leave and do nothing because I have nothing. I have no, like everything was set up in college. Like you can join an org, you can do this. You can play intramural sports. Like they don't got that, okay? <laughs> like you leave and you're done. Yeah. You're on your own. You got to find hobbies. You got to, like I felt like I grew up so fast because like I didn't have, I had to find hobbies. It's a pandemic. I can't do stuff. So I'm over here like, 30 years old I feel like <laughs> like established in my career cooking blog like I have a cooking blog like, are you kidding yeah so it's it's weird uh, I have a question for you then do you ever feel like social media plays a role in that too like you feeling a bum because I feel like for me at least on social media I see what I feel like everybody else is doing 10,000 times more things that are more impressive than what I'm doing and I'm like dang like I really am a bum. I'm not doing anything at all. That's crazy because I would look at your social media and be like, wow, Marcus started a whole blog. He started a podcast. Are you kidding? Don't. <laughs> he started a podcast and I'm sitting here trying to get through Netflix season because that's all I have to my life. You're too I'm kind. I'm in awe. Like other people like Crystal started a whole nonprofit. Mark has his fashion. That he's in hers music video now. M Mahad has the whole damn TikTok fame. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> these are my these are my counterparts. What am I doing? Nothing. No, Nothing. don't say that. I think the thing is that we need to realize too is that like, like you got to be on your own timetable. Like, yeah, absolutely. I truly believe that. Like, and you can make your timetable. Like, I didn't want to start my career right after college. I waited a little. Um, and I recommend that for other people, like, honestly, take a complete break from everything if you can. Like, I know, like, financially, not everyone's in the same place. Like, shout out to my parents for forever taking care of me. <laughs> but, like, 
if you can take like a month in between college and starting your career, I would recommend it. It's, it allows you to sit there and be like, wow, I just finished a huge accomplishment in my life. I'm about to start a new journey. Like, let me take some things off my bucket list. I got to go to Puerto Rico. Like I went to Dubai again and I went with one of my best friends. So like, if you can travel or like do anything in that like little time period, I would recommend it. Wise words from Rahab. But so you talked about your time at the University of Minnesota a little bit. Um, just like looking back, you said you miss it at least. Like looking back, like how do you look back on it now? Because you did a lot while you were there too. Yeah. So like looking back on it, like I yeah, for one, I did a lot and that was really fun. Like I will say like joining the orgs and like doing all that, even though like in the moment I was like, holy shit, I have 30 things going on today and I still have to do my homework. But looking back on it, like, that's the kind of person I was. I enjoyed being busy. And so, like, now that I'm not busy, I feel like I'm a lost, lost at sea. But um, I do miss campus. Like, I do miss, like, the comfortability and being able to know everything and, like, know everyone and walking down and, like, running into people you know. Because the pandemic doesn't allow that at Target, you know. You can't <laughs> walk down and know people there. You can't meet people. It's hard. Right. Um, but I think... My favorite, I think the one thing I do miss is the BSU room. Like, shout out to the BSU. The BSU room, like, I will, I don't know if I'll ever have like a community like that ever again because, like, even like working at, like, getting the job at Target, I didn't meet a single black person while I was there. So I was just like, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> and then now I'm at General Mills and, like, even going through my first week of like orientation and training and stuff, there, I was the only black person in my orientation group of 30. So I was like, well, there's that. Um, but apparently there is a black community there, so I will find you. There's somebody um, there that we know. We don't have to say yeah. his name, but okay, there's somebody. No, I will say his name because Felucia's the plug, okay? <laughs> Felucia, uh, when I saw the job posting for General Mills, I reached out to Felucia, and I asked him if he had any tips. He gave me a few tips. And I, will, I won't say it was completely because of Felucia, but I will say if Felucia wasn't there, there's a chance I couldn't have gotten the job. So if you know people that work at a company, reach out to them. I promise you they won't be weird about it. Like, I felt a little bit, like, weird because I don't talk to Felucia on a daily basis. So I was like, I don't want to be some person, like, just reaching out to, like, gain something from you. But Felucia was really responsive. Like, if people actually genuinely care about the growth of the African-American community and the growth of, like, minorities, like, if you reach out to them and they help you, it's probably what's going to happen. And if I feel like – Oh. If you reach out and they don't help you, they're weird. Yeah, I feel like Felucia, too, just going off Felucia, like, he's just a solid dude like that. Like, that's what he, yeah. he likes helping other people, at yeah. least. But like you said, like, reaching out and networking like that, it feels awkward. But if you talk to anybody, they're like, we want to do that. Like, we love helping other people like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just started at General Mills, but, like, if anybody – needs help <laughs> like i'll help <laughs> right i don't know how much pull i'll have over here but you know maybe i'll give you some pointers get more people in the door yeah and you're, you're talking about the bsu room and um like it was kind of because there's just there's it's in the what's the word the uh the professional world sometimes it can be hard to find a black community but at the at the u at least i feel like the bsu was really a big part there yeah absolutely i think like Compared to, like, other schools, we probably have a very stable and, like, secure BSU. Other schools have smaller groups and cliques, but having that main room in 
in the Memorial Union and having everyone be able to come together and host events and stuff like that. I thought that was super cool. And like now, like I miss it. I miss walking into the BSU room and like having people talk about the weirdest stuff and like bringing up conversation to like have one person be the outlier. Like I remember um, one of the conversations was about like the Somali foods and putting like peanut butter on Maloa or something like that. And that was a that was a huge argument. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that, I mean, I do miss it a lot. Right. But I don't miss I don't miss the walking around on campus because it's cold. I don't miss um, the overpriced campus food. But Marcus, I will say, taught me a lot. We'll just leave that at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I don't miss the predominantly white institution. I do want to say that. Like, I wish sometimes like there was more black people at our school. But at the same time, I believe that it prepared me for corporate America, big time. Right, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around in this a little bit, but like, so I mean, I don't mean this in a negative way. It's gonna sound super negative, <laughs> but like, you grew up in Edina and all that, right? So yeah, you come from an area that's not super diverse, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. How, do you feel like growing up in Edina and then going to the U has really helped prepare you for corporate America and all that? Um, I definitely believe so. I think like going, growing up in Edina, I got the white perspective. Like I didn't get any type of black culture knowledge. I didn't like, I don't even remember celebrating black history month at my school. Like, I don't think like, I, let me tell you how, like, I'm not racist in quotes. Edina was for me. Like in, in third grade. Okay. We did a Martin Luther King play. And there was one black kid in my class, and I was the black girl in the class. And in my mind, like, now I'd be like, okay, like, I feel like logically it makes sense for him to play Martin and for me to play, like, Martin's wife or his mom or something like that. But no. Like, I guess logically that's not how they saw it. Um, I played a racist white mom. Oh, wow. And he was my, he was my son. We were the white characters. Mm. So I was like, oh, I think like they're trying so hard to be like, I'm not racist. I'm not going to cast the only two black kids in black roles. But like, that's what you're kind of supposed to do. (laughs) You're like that kind of told me like kind of like be ashamed of who you are, like in a sense, because it's like, why not just cast me where I belong? Like, is it so like you don't want me to be where I belong? Like, I don't understand that. And so. Um, and the, I remember in the third grade Moax Museum, I was Abraham Lincoln. Yep. Cause that's what I learned. Abraham Lincoln was like the white God. He did that. Right. You know, freed the slaves. There was nothing wrong with him. No. Lo and behold, you get to college and your dreams are shattered. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't, you didn't like, and I didn't learn so much compared to like a lot of people. I didn't learn about Malcolm X. I didn't learn about all of that stuff. So like, when I got to college, I wanted to immerse myself into black culture and like understand where like black people come from. I will say back to your question, Edina did prepare me for white America. Like, um, I definitely was whitewashed. I will say that with confidence. Like I definitely try to fit in. I did not want to stand out being like one of the only black kids, like, especially being the one only like one of three black kids that were in like 
AP classes and like doing stuff at school that wasn't sport related. I didn't want to like associate sometimes with like the kids that didn't care or didn't go to class and stuff because like that could tarnish my name and I was trying to get into college and like I had letters of recommendations to ask for. So like I definitely was ashamed of who I was. Like I can say that um, going to Edina, like it did hinder my growth in like myself. And so when I got to college, I like redefined my identity and like was more confident about who I am and where I came from. So there are perks about going to white schools and like predominantly white institutions and stuff like that, but it also could be draining and can take you away from your identity, um, where you come from and what you should be proud of. Cause now like everybody wanted to be black. Facts. So, Facts. I don't know why I was so ashamed of being black. I mean, it's tough though. Like there's like Edina is like, if you look up like poster child of white America, that Edina's going to show up. Oh, absolutely. And then my next question to that do is for that is like, do you believe Edina has earned its reputation as being the most hated city in Minnesota? I honestly don't. I All think right. Edina's <laughs> like, I the reason I said this is because Minnetonka is like people think of Edina to think of rich. Like, why don't y'all think about e- Minnetonka or Wyzetta? Because they're way like, their property values are bigger than larger than ours. Okay, like their houses are way more expensive than ours in some places. Like. I think because Edina was, like, um, always, like, a predominantly white, rich suburbia, and, like, Minnetonka and Wyzetta are later coming on, Yeah, that people will forever associate Edina with, like, white, rich cake eaters. Like, I get it. I get it. It does at some aspects, but, like, now I feel like it should be redefined, and, like, Edina isn't top. I don't think. You know what's a slept-on one, though? St. Louis Park. Oh, Plymouth. I don't even know. I've been to Plymouth like once in my life. Well, Plymouth is so slept on. <laughs> there's a lot. There's like, there's a lot of like white suburbia, like Invergrove Heights, White Bear Lake. I don't even are know where those kidding? are. Like those are those are Edina in training. <laughs> but while I was in Edina, my senior year, there was a Black Student Union, and I was not a part of it. Oh. Only because like. I felt like their message wasn't what I wanted it to be. Like, it, it felt a little bit like we want a space away from white people, but in, like, a negative way. Mm. And so, and, like, this is no, like, shade to them or anything. Like, they tried. It was hard. They were the first year. I get it. I just didn't join it. And um, I learned from them um, while I was in Edina. Like, I learned that Edina was a sundown town. Yep. And I didn't know that. And so I, like, researched it, and it's true. Like, Edina didn't allow black people after dusk. Like, as soon as the sun went down, black people can't be in the city of Edina. Yeah. Or you get shot. Edina's an interesting place, to say the least. Yeah. And so hearing that, I was like, wow. <laughs> you also are a really big sports fan, too. I feel like people may or may not know that about you, but, like, you're a huge, huge sports fan. You've worked in sports, you mentioned, too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what really was like, what got you into sports? Um, so I'm not athletic. Like I will <laughs> proudly say like I am not coordinated. I could not really play sports. I tried sports. It just wasn't for me. And so I still wanted to be like connected somehow. Um, and so like in high school, I super fan for a bunch of sports. And so I like went to their games and like supported a certain player, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then once I got to college, like, I started going like to football games, basketball games, just started like getting more immersed into it. 
and then like I have older brothers and so I'd watch sports stuff with them and then like I took my first like sport management class and that's where I was like okay like women can be in sports like this is a possibility like it just like wasn't the thing like back in back in like my high school like male sports were always more dominant than women's sports like it was just kind of what it was right and so I don't know I just started like playing around with it going to sport management classes and then like I got the opportunity to work with the football team and that kind of instilled more in me but like once the pandemic hit like Mm -hmm. sports were not hiring like I was not about to sit around and wait for a sports job when like there was no one hiring so I went the other route and I mean like ultimately my dream is to be like a um a sport like undergrad or college like level um like uh what's it called personnel person like Mm, like a personal um, development yeah, personal development. Mm. And so, like, I worked with Maurice at the football, at um, Gopher Football, and that's what he does. And he, like, helps, like, um, the players gain, like, real-life um, examples and, like, real-life experience stuff and um, sets up the volunteering and stuff like that and, like, gives them, like, that support outside of football and school. Right. And so uh, that's something that I always thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's, that's probably, like, my dream job. That's admirable, too, because I just know when, like, especially at a division one, like the Gophers or whatever, like football takes up such a large amount of time. And then you throw it on that they have school too. Like it can just seem like their days just go football school. So it's cool that programs like that are setting up opportunities for them to explore other avenues of their life rather than just football school all day. Yeah. Like Nuri set up like a budgeting class, like for them that they, so they learn how to like budget their checks, how to, um, credit cards all that stuff so they like have some type of knowledge so like if they don't do go pro or anything like that they're not over here like buying 30 diamond chains and like not being able to pay their own rent right right so So you touched on this a little bit too so you have a career goal to you said you wanted to work in sports yeah and we just live in like the society and especially in the sports industry that has a lot of like sexism in it for women Mm mm-hmm how has it been or how like how has it been so far as you just maneuvering that even through just through sports management classes and working with the gophers um i mean there it it's up to i think it's like it's not a program that i feel like always is the reason there's like a lot of sexism but like there's individual people that believe like women have certain roles that they need to play and like i won't lie like I go for football, like, I had a great experience, like, I loved most of the staff, but, like, there were some, like, I felt like some people were, like, rude, just to be rude, I feel like. I don't think it was, like, a sexism thing. I think they were just naturally rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I just felt like I didn't really see a lot of women in, like, high roles there other than, like, yeah, like, none. And so, like, it was kind of, like, daunting to see, like, with such an institution that, like, no woman had, like, broken into any of, like, their sports. It's got to be disheartening, too, because, I mean, even I'm going off, because uh, I, me, Rahab and I both minored in sports management during our time. Just going off that, too, it doesn't seem like, like, there's not a lack of women trying to work in the sporting industry. So it's yeah. just, it has to be, another, like, has to be an implicit bias or whatever that there's not women in positions of power or working in the industry at all. Yeah, I mean, like, it only takes one, I will say, like, at Gopher Football, there was, like, one woman that was, like, director of operations or, like, team manager or something like that that, like, 
had that one position, I felt like a lot of doors would have opened up. It just takes one woman to like break through it. And then the rest of us will be able to get more like see that and be like, okay, I don't, I shouldn't be like scared to apply for this position. Like, but like right now I feel like there's still like a lack of women. Like I feel like a lot of men don't want women in these positions. I feel like a lot of people don't care for the diversity aspect. Like some people are like, diversity is important like if people don't think diversity is important they're not going to push for it like it's yeah. it's that clear and so like even without even saying like white like women in general i'm even more specific to like black women like there was two managers mm-hmm. um and like equipment managers one graphic uh, design intern and then myself and so the four of us were all like bottom level like intern level right and so like there was no black woman above us there was no like i don't think there's really many black women in the entire gopher sporting world that work in administrative positions or like coaching or anything like that yeah so it's just like that's just like it seems limiting just because we're talking about just black women in general working in sports when you look at the volleyball team or you look at the women's basketball team and there's nobody in their administration at all really that looks like them when they're making up the team exactly and so and that's so disheartening like there are um there's like black coaches there's black football coaches there's black men um basketball coaches there's a lot of that but we don't see a lot of black women in these positions we don't see um, a lot of black women in administration in sports like it's very disheartening and like the fact that major like a good chunk of women basketball players are black a good chunk of women volleyball players are black there are black women athletes track athletes there's track athletes there's so many different sports and like if women got into black women got into golf you know we'd, <laughs> we'd ruin it okay we do that um tennis like any serena williams like period um <laughs> But, like, there's not a lot of representation, and so when there's no a lot of representation, it's hard for people to feel like they can be in those positions. Yeah, I think... And I go for football, it's just... Or go for sports in general, it's, there's not a lot of diversity. So, let's move... I'm going to move on to, like, your internship and career experience a little bit now. All right. You've had all sorts of internships, and you've worked for a whole bunch of different things. We, we said that at the top. Just tell me a little bit about your experience and, like, everything you've learned, kind of, and how you've figured out, like, what you like, what you don't like, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I think internships were probably the best thing I could have done in college. Like, I did a sales internship at Enterprise, and I was like, hell no, I'm never doing sales again in my life. Like, <laughs> every day I dread wake, I like dread going to work, or, like, my internship, because I hated it so much. Like, but <laughs> I needed to be in my bag. The money does not stop. So I continued to go to it. Um, at the end of it, I was like, yep, I'm done. So I did that internship one summer. Um, I entered with a local um, apparel company that supports um, women in women, women's hockey. Oh, yeah, um, I remember. Goodwood, Goodwood Hockey. I did that, and that was actually fun. Like, that was, like, one of my, like, stress relievers, um, doing that, like, being able to help her with, like, organization, like, marketing, um, helping her with her sales, like, that was fun, because I just, like, sell her product, I wouldn't have to, like, like, I wouldn't get anything out of it, like, I didn't feel like I had to, like, sell a certain amount, or I'd get, like, fired or something, so it was a good time, I enjoyed that, I did that for a couple years, um, 
I entered with Gopher Football for a year. Um, it was really fun just seeing like the ins and out of an organization. Um, I learned a lot about sports and I learned a lot about like um, how collegiate sports work. So that was really cool. Um, it, um, okay, so currently I'm entering, interning at um, the hip hop firm. Um, it's like a local organization um, based in Chicago area. And um, my boyfriend's uncle owns it. Mm. And he started it. And he's right now doing his PhD at Northwestern. And it's pretty much te teaching you um, social justice and like healing and things of that sort through hip hop. And so um, we do, there's like 12 lessons. The last three lessons they create um, and there's different like different packages for like different organizations. Right now we work with a couple churches, Boys and Girls Club in Chicago um, and stuff like that. And I'm just doing their marketing and social media. I've taught one class. Ooh. So. Is that, yeah. is it, has it been rewarding doing that so far? Because that's like you're actually yeah. making change. Yeah, it's actually really cool. Like um, just being able to see like the kids like learn and heal and like learn how to heal is really cool. And just giving kids the opportunity to learn about hip hop and the history of hip hop and where it all started and knowing that it is black. Right, right. So you mean Eminem's not the first rapper? Are you kidding? <laughs> Isn't he the king of hip hop? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, like, I said this earlier at the start, like, Rahab really is just, she has a skill set, and first of all, Rahab can talk to anyone. I've seen, Rahab could, Rahab can talk to anyone, she can have a conversation with anyone about anything. She's just a, you're just a personable person, so is that, like, has that always been a part of your personality? Just, you know how to talk to people? Um, yes. I think, uh, for one, my mom would always tell me when I was younger, like, I asked too many questions. I feel like a lot of parents have told their kids that. But, like, I would, like, ask random people questions and, like, like family members that I would meet for the first time, I'd, like, interrogate them. And my mom would be, like, that's rude. Like, you're prying into people's lives. Like, you need to back up. And I was, like, oh, okay. And so, like, I was – I felt like I was always outgoing. Like, I never was, like, kind of shy or anything. So being able to talk to people, I think that was just an acquired trait that I had because – and even in high school, I was involved in a lot of stuff. And, like, Yeah. I mean, it's just a good skill to have. You can, if you can talk to people from all different walks of life and like people that look different than you, that's a good thing to have. Just because, first, you could talk to anyone. Like, you just get, talk, the more people you can talk to, the wider your network gets to get, be. No, absolutely. Like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of like when it's benefited me. Oh, like in Dubai, like I would go to like, um, I'd go out and, like, meet, like, people from all over the world, and I thought that was always super cool. Mm -hmm. And, like, one time we went, this past time we went, we met people from, like, Baltimore. We met people from Ar Algeria. Uh, we met, like, a European couple. And then when we went on our um, desert um, cruise or desert trip or whatever, we met this family from India and, like, got to learn about, like, their life in India and what they do and, like, how their schooling works and like their daughter had just recently got like shaved off all her head. We learned that that was a cultural thing. Like we just, yeah. So like being able to talk to people, you learn so much. And like, I feel like that's where the love for diversity comes in for me. Like mm. I like walking into a room and like knowing people are different and like seeing that everyone is different. Like when I walk into a room and it's like all white, I'm like, wow, like <sighs> it's going to be a lot of the same story, but then you'll have one person that's like, oh, my family did this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. 
But like when you do that with like a diverse group of people, like no one's story is the same. Right. And I think that's so much cooler than anything. And you're you're multilingual too, right? So that's even yeah. bigger. You get to speak to even more people. That's one of the things. As someone who only speaks English, I always think about how much I'm limiting how many people I can get to know and how many like things you can learn. So how does mul- yeah. how is being multilingual like influence that too? Um, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, so like, uh, my mom speaks Somali and Arabic and my dad speaks only Arabic and like, my dad doesn't even speak very good English. So like, I've always had to speak to him in Arabic, which allowed me to learn how to speak Arabic. But since my dad only spoke Arabic, my mom only spoke Arabic around us unless we were around my mom's side of the family. And so I didn't learn Somali as well as I would hope or hope to have learned. So, um, I speak mainly Arabic and like, it has allowed me to, like, in Dubai especially, like, get ahead. Mm-hmm. Like, being able to, like, speak the language, I'm, like, able to, like, do things that people who aren't, who are just, like, regular tourists don't get to do. Right. So, it comes in, it comes in handy when you travel. Yeah. It comes in handy when you meet people. Like, um, it's a connector. Like, when you're out and, like, speaking in your native tongue and someone else hears you, people will be responsive to that. Like, they'll look over at you and be like, okay, I get it. Yeah, like, I see you, you see me type shit. I mean, I really don't have anything else for you, really. You've, you've told us a lot about yourself. You, um, like, you really did, you really come on here and got some really good stuff, Rob. So, oh, I, actually, one last thing, one last thing. But no one no one really knows this. I've never told anybody else. But Rob has been a big pro- part of the process of the show, too. On every single episode, the first eight, I've come to Rob for depending on quality, how it's going, and everything in between. And she offers really just true and honest advice. So firstly, I just want to say thank you for that because you've helped improve the show over the life of its career so far. And then I also do have a question is, how have you been able to be so honest without being overly harsh? Like, how has that been a skill you've been able to develop? Wow, that's incredible. You don't think I'm harsh? Nah, nah, nah. I thought I was, okay. Sometimes people think I'm harsh and I feel bad. Actually, I don't. But... Um, I should feel bad if people think I'm harsh. Like, I don't, I'm not a mean person. So if you think I'm mean, like, that's on you. That's a personal problem. (laughs) Um, But my, so growing up, my mom was my biggest critic. Like, people say, (laughs) on TikTok, I saw a TikTok that said, um, a girl's first hater is their mom. And I can wholeheartedly say that my first hater was my mother. Um, And it, it, established like a sense of like confidence in me I feel like like that like if I do get critiqued nothing can break me because my mom has critiqued me the worst so um when I when like people critique me I don't take it I try not to take it personally I am a crier so like I will cry sometimes but when people critique me it's for the benefit of growing and so if you're going to critique someone you have to critique them in the hopes that they'll grow from it rather than like just sit in their critique and so, like, when I critique, when I would critique you about the podcast, I'd be like, something is wrong with your audio, and if the audio improves, the whole experience will improve altogether. Right. And so, I didn't tell you, like, oh, you have shit audio, and, like, it ruined the show. Because it didn't ruin the show, it took away from the show, but it didn't completely ruin it. So, like, I think it's all about wording and, like, your intent behind it. Like, if you're going to critique someone and you want to get to, like, you want to hurt them, you're going to hurt them. Because that's how it's going to come off. But if you're critiquing someone to help them improve, that's how it's going to come off. And so, like, and sometimes for certain people who are more sensitive, start with a precursor. Like, what I'm I'm saying to you is not to hurt you, it's to help you. And so, like, setting that boundary and setting that, like, 
minimum allows them to know that like, hey, I'm not about to get eaten alive for no reason because this person hates me. Because yeah. I always think people hate me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people do hate me. But that's a youth problem. <laughs> I think um, I think you that's what you you're really good at. You've always when you've critiqued the show at least, it comes across as like you first of all, if you're critiquing it, that means you've listened to it. So that's yeah. already showing your support and, and you always come across with the fact that like you can see how it can get better. Yeah. If you're not saying it's bad and it's always going to be bad. You're saying yeah. it just needs a little improvement and can get even better. That's what I've always heard, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my mom taught me how not to critique people, and so that's what I base my critiques on. Like, if it's going to come off mean, don't do it. If you, if you can do without it, like, there's a difference between um, a critique for the better of everything or a critique for the better of you. Like, if I was like, oh, Marcus, I don't like the topic you talked about, that's a me problem. Like, I'm critiquing you on something that offend. like, that's a problem to me, not a problem to, like, other people who would be listening. And so, like, if you're like, oh, I don't like your shirt, that's not a very healthy critique because that's a you problem. That's not a them problem. Like, they could love that shirt. That shirt could be from their grandmother. Right. So... I think like when you do critique people, make sure you critique them on things that actually matter or actually can improve and help the betterment of other people too. And I think like that's first of all, that's a bar. Also, things that are controllable. Like oh yeah, sometimes people control critique something about someone, and it's just it's just not controllable. Yeah, like oh, you should be more on time. There's a goddamn snowstorm outside. How would you have wanted me to drive here? Right, right. Like those things are not controllable. So like. I think it also comes like, how would you want to be critiqued? Like, if do you want someone critiquing you on things you can't control? No, you don't want people critiquing you on things that you like yourself. Then don't do it to other people. Like, treat people how you want to be treated. The golden rule. The golden rule. Like, it goes <laughs> back to that. And so, like, I think my entire life, like, my parents critiqued me. And, like, being an immigrant, I didn't really mention that throughout the thing. But, like, my family's an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. And so, like your parents have like this unnatural expectation for you in your life. And so like you get to a point where like your entire life is critiques. I go home and my mom says seven things that she doesn't like about what I'm wearing or what I look like or what I'm doing. And then we'll have a regular conversation after. So it's like a preset idea that I'm going to get critiqued. Mm. But um, for other people, like I think like when you, when you built like a stable mindset that like critiques aren't to hurt me, they're help me grow you'll be able to accept the critiques. Right. But until you're until you're able to do that, you're going to just see critiques as people being haters, people insulting you, people wanting to see you fail. But, like, in every critique, there is growth. Yes. And so yes. if you can't grow, if you can't learn to grow from your critiques, you won't be able to grow into something that you've never seen before. Right. You won't get your full potential, basically. Exactly. I mean, and you just brought this up a little bit. You don't have to touch on it if you don't want yeah. to. But no, you, I'm totally cool. You talked about being an immigrant. Like, how is that? Like, for some, first of all, for some reason, there's always been, like, a negative connotation with the term immigrant. There's nothing wrong with being an immigrant at all. No, not at all. And so, I feel like... Oh. What? Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, okay. So, um, the whole immigrant thing, I think I would not have wanted to be born in this country. I'm going to be frank with you. Um, only because, like... I feel like a lot of people born in the United States don't always see like the benefit of being born in the United States. Like it's like for people who grew up in like 
war-ridden countries who immigrated here because this was a safe haven. We take this opportunity and we run with it. We don't sit with it. Like going to college for me was a way to give back to my parents. Like if I could have chosen, like I would have gotten married to a rich man and never had to work a day in my life. But like <laughs> me going to college was like a give back to that because they were like, we could have lived in Dubai. We could have like just had a great life. And then like had you guys just do whatever you wanted and like us not help you guys. But they were like, we're going to move to the United States. We're going to give everyone an opportunity and we want you guys to have a great, better life than we do. And so when your parents like sacrifice everything to you, for one, it causes a lot of trauma because your parents will bring it up to you every day. Second of all, it gives you this motivation that other people will never be able to experience unless they're an immigrant. Mm -hmm. Like being an immigrant has given us this, this drive that a lot of people don't have this like need to survive that a lot of people don't have. And it's tiring. It's very tiring. Like, you don't feel successful. You don't feel like you've accomplished anything. Like even like saying all the things that I've accomplished, I don't feel like I've done anything because my parents literally sacrificed their entire life to come here, to be here. And I'm still like, all I've done is got a college degree or all I've done is worked at a fortune 500 company. But like my parents, to my parents, that's amazing. To me, I'm like, my parents sacrificed everything. My mom tells me like horror stories from her childhood. Like, and I'm over here like, wow, I didn't experience half the stuff. Like, I'm trying to take on her trauma to motivate me to be better and better and better. And, like, I personally don't know if I'll ever be satisfied because of being an immigrant. Like, my drive will never be completed. My drive will never end. Like, I will constantly be wanting to do more, constantly wanting to be more. But at some point, I have to come to terms with myself and be like, what I've done is a lot. What I've done is enough. And I don't have to continue to wake up at five in the morning and accomplish everything I have to do. I don't have to strive to something that's un unattainable, not reachable, and just be happy with everything that I've done. I mean, I feel like you just, that was all straight bars right there. So I can't even say, I like, that was beautiful. That was very well put, I think. Thank you. <laughs> and I just feel like that's a great way to end it. Like you really just, that was, that was like, that was like, you just finished your college thesis. You're all done. Like, that was fire. So, <laughs> Rahab, thank you so I've much. I've had a lot of time to think about it. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. I'm glad, like, I'm glad I've got to meet you, Rahab. We met each other for, uh, I don't remember, freshman year? I think it was freshman year. Yeah, we met each other freshman year. You've been a good friend ever since. So, like, thank you. Thank you for being you. Thanks for coming on the show today. And, like, thank you so much. Uh, no, thank you, Marcus, for giving me this opportunity to start my famedom because, like, this will be when I make it. I'm gonna be like, oh, my first interview ever was on this podcast. Yeah. All right. So let's get this going. Let's go. Where can the people find you at on social media so you can get famous right now? See, I don't use my social media often, <laughs> but I will post cooking. Okay. Stuff that I cook. So um, you can find me at Rahab Ali Mom on Instagram. Um, I don't know what my Twitter handle is. Um, I'm not really on Twitter, not active. Um, but yeah, that's all I'm really doing. Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn too. Connect with me. All right, I'll link. I'll link all those in the episode description below too. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks, Rahab. Thank you.
below too. <laughs> right, thanks, Rahab. Thank you. some point I have to come to terms with myself and be like what I've done is a lot what I've done is enough and I don't have to continue to wake up at five in the morning and accomplish everything I have to do I don't have to strive to something that's un unattainable not reachable and just be happy with everything that I've done I mean I feel like you just that was all straight bars right there so I can't even say I like that was beautiful that was very well put I think <laughs> and I just feel like that's a great way to end it. Like you really just that was that was like that was like you just finished your college thesis. You're all done. Like that was fire. So, Rahab, thank you so I've much. I've had a lot of time to think about it. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, I'm glad. Like I'm glad I've got to meet you, Rahab. We met each other for uh, I don't remember freshman year. I think it was freshman year. Yeah, we met each other freshman year. You've been a good friend ever since. So like, thank you, thank you for being you. Thanks for coming on this show today, and like, thank you so much. Uh, no, thank you, Marcus, for giving me this opportunity to start my famedom because, like, this will be when I make it, I'm gonna be like, oh, my first interview ever was on this podcast. Yeah, all right, so let's get this going. Let's go. Where can the people find you at on social media so you can get famous right now? See, I don't use my social media often, <laughs> but I will post cooking okay. stuff that I cook. So, um, you can find me at Rahab Ali Mom on Instagram. Um, I don't know what my Twitter handle is. Um, I'm not really on Twitter, not active. Um, but yeah, that's all I'm really good at. Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn too. Connect with me. All right, I'll link. I'll link all those in the episode description below too. <laughs> right, thanks, Rahab. Thank you. Oh, and that's gonna do it for episode nine. Thank you to everybody who made it this far and tuned in. Really appreciate everybody who listens and supports. Truthfully, that's not just a statement I say. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Work really hard on this, so I'm really appreciative of everybody who takes out their time to do listen. And lastly, I just want to say, make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Those are linked below. Those will help you stay updated on all announcements, news, and everything in between. So really, I want to say thank you one last time. This was episode nine. Peace.